I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're also going to spend a good chunk of time in Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Go back and forth between those two. As we try to think about what does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be you? Where does our identity come from? And to get us thinking about that, we are going to look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul before he was a Christian, after he was a Christian. But let's first set some boundaries, define some terms. And whether you believe this or not, whether you're a Christian or a seeker or somebody who's not sure what they believe in, it is important to know that there is a vast distinction between what we call a biblical worldview in terms of where your identity comes from and a secular worldview, what the secular culture teaches about your identity and who you are. And to start with, we'll, we'll look at what I'll call our baptismal identity. We'll start about the Christian worldview, the, the things that we see in Scripture. And according to Christianity, according to the Bible, the most foundational, the most important thing about you is that you have been claimed by Christ. When you were baptized, the Holy Spirit overwhelmed your heart. He entered into you. The Holy Spirit transformed you. You were washed by the blood of Christ. You are now adopted into God's family as his sons or daughter. And according to Scripture, this is the very foundation of every aspect of your identity. All these things Pastor Nate just talked about, those are secondary to your foundation and your baptismal identity rooted in Christ. That's what scripture said. The apostle Paul gives us some insight into this. He talks about this almost in every letter. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. There's something different about you now. The things that you used to find value in before you were a Christian, the things that you used to cling to and, and, and enjoy, every single thing about you, Paul says, is, is dead. He says it more bluntly in Galatians. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, dead with Christ on the cross. Therefore, it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I had a second mom growing up, a wonderful Christian woman named Gay Lee. And we, when me and my best friend Ed would go out to a party in high school or middle school or something, hanging out with other kids, Gay Lee would always say to us, now boys, don't forget, you're little Christs. This is where she gets this from. And he continues, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and here's an identity marker for us, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is, according to Scripture, what makes us us. It's our core identity. Now, I think the reason that this is so hard for Christian and non-Christian in the room is that we live in a culture that obviously not everybody believes this to be true about themselves. Not everybody has a shared faith in Christ, like many of us have here this morning. And so let's talk about the secular worldview, the, the way in which the culture encourages us and believes marks us as a true person, gives us value, gives us identity. And admittedly, this is super hard to nail down because we live in a culture, after all, that doesn't believe in absolute truth. We hear things like, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. So it's hard in our culture to have a shared sense of where our identity comes from. But what I've seen, and I think this is true, 
What many people in our culture believe is that you pick something, you find something in the world, and you base your identity on that, and then that becomes the foundation, that becomes the building block, and everything else kind of builds up on that. So for example, if it's success, if it's career that drives you and is the most important thing to you, then you just kind of build everything else off of that. If it's sports, if it's money, if it's sexuality, if it's gender, whatever it is that you think is the most important thing about you, you start that, you put that as your foundation, and you build everything else on top of it. That's the secular culture understanding of where your identity comes from, and then we have the biblical understanding, what I called our baptismal identity. Keep that in mind as we now look at the Apostle Paul, what I want to try to do here today is find a very tangible thing that we can cling to, that we can look to in Scripture to compare the two, because ultimately, where we find our identity is what we believe is going to make us the happiest, to bring us the greatest sense of accomplishment, the greatest sense of meaning, the greatest sense of purpose. It drives us, it motivates the decisions that we make, the friends that we keep, the family that we have, all stems from our understanding of identity. And to do that, let's look first at Philippians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul, of course, after he meets Jesus, after he converts, he falls in love with Jesus. But starting in verse 3, he starts talking about the way in which he used to value his life, the things that he used to say was the core of his identity. He writes this, If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, what's he doing? What's he building his identity on? First of all, ethnically, culturally, he is saying, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the man. And he finds great identity in that. And then he talks about his career. He says that as to the law, I made it all the way to the level of Pharisee. Not everybody could be a Pharisee. It meant that you had the Old Testament practically memorized. You knew the law inside and out. And all the thousands of extra regulations that the Pharisees had developed over the years, you knew that and you could teach it. And you were the best of your careers you could be. And we also saw an Acts that now he's got a promotion. He's the chief persecutor. It says he's going from house to house persecuting. Christians, and in the very last part there, he's talking now about his character in terms of righteousness of the law. He believed that he was perfect, that he had it all together, that when he walked down the street, not only was he the Hebrew of Hebrews, not only was he advancing in his career and the man, he outside had it all going on. He was a perfect person, and that's what drove him. That's what really founded his identity on being all these external things. That was the Apostle Paul. The problem is, and this starts to get to the heart of the matter for us living in this world today, the problem for Paul is that he didn't have it all together inside, internally, in his heart of hearts. He was one messed up person. Let's go back to Acts chapter 8. We looked at this last week, the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, we see that Paul is going from house to house. 
He's dragging off both men and women, and he's putting them in prison. And in Acts chapter 26, 10, he confesses, he admits that he was on the tribunal that actually oversaw the death, the execution of several of these Christians. So it's not just Stephen of whose death he approved. It was many men and women, Christians in the world. He said they deserve to die for what they believe and what they're doing. And then the text that we read this morning, this is really the heart of what's going on in Paul. It says that he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Do you see what has happened to Paul? Because his identity was so threatened, being the Hebrew of Hebrews, his religious life, his career, his job, being this perfect person that was threatened by Christianity, that actually drove him to be a violent and angry man. This is not a guy who has it all together. This is a person who is deeply discontent, who is highly anxious because his identity Everything he had built his life on was threatened until he meets Jesus. And this is a really interesting, I, I love that scripture has this in here. Uh, Jesus shows up to Paul in a vision. He's blinded, he can't see. He goes to this house in Damascus. He's there for three days. He's got three days to think it over. Okay, the, the blinding wasn't the thing that converted Saul. It was the three days of thinking. Later on in the text, it says he's praying. He's contemplating his identities. He's contemplating his life. And then God sends this poor guy, Ananias, to go do this, this crazy thing. I always feel bad for Ananias, right? Jesus shows up to him and says, hey, you're going to go and lay hands on Saul, pray for him. I'm going to use you to be the conduit of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be cool. Ananias goes, uh, Jesus, I don't know if you are familiar with this uh, Saul guy. He, he's actually murdering your people. You know, like you should be aware of this, Jesus. And then Jesus, he, this, this reads like a comedy to me. Jesus is like, hey, look, chill out, Ananias, don't worry. I got this covered. You're going to go there, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Now, think about that. In terms of a sales pitch for Christianity, Jesus is going to go to Paul, and he's going to say, look, all that success that you love, the career Management that you're doing, you're the top of your field, you're probably getting paid pretty well for what you do. I'm going to take all that away and you're going to suffer for my name. Welcome to Christianity. Who falls for that? Who believes that? Who would want to lose all those things for the sake of Christ? And yet that's exactly what happened to Paul. Ananias goes to his house, he lays hands on him. It says that the scales that were on his eyes departed. He receives the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. And that's his conversion. That's when he was changed. And the results are immediate. Jump down to verse 20. The text says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Guys, I had it wrong. He goes from church to church, house to house, anybody he can talk to. Jesus is the Son of God. Hey, do you know Jesus is the Son of God? Hey, I was wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't shut up, and it gets so annoying for the religious leaders, his former friends, that they become his enemies, and they actually try to have him killed. This transformation of Paul is incredible. He goes from this person who's filled with murderous rage and, and anger and hatred to somebody who then goes from house to house and church to church, and cannot stop talking about Jesus. What in the world happened to Paul? 
jump back with me to Philippians chapter 3, he tells us, and it has everything to do with his identity, the thing in which he found the most hope and the most purpose and the very foundation of his life changed. After he, after he talks about all these things that he used to be uh, seen as identity markers in his life, his career, his, his perfection, he then says this, I've been crucified with Christ. I'm going backwards. Sorry. He says this, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, these are financial terms. It means that whatever I profited back in the day, I now consider a loss, a financial loss. Why? Because I've got something far better. And he continues, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's for his sake I have suffered the loss. And there's that word suffer again. Remember, Jesus said he's going to suffer. I count them as rubbish. This is the Greek word for your trash. That nice little rubber-made plastic bag that you put all your waste in and those wonderful men from waste management come and take it away from your house every Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Those are all waste. They're rubbish. They're garbage. In order that I may gain, that I may profit Christ. And that becomes his identity, knowing how much God loves him, understanding what God has done in his heart, won him over, he's been baptized, he's been changed. This becomes the core central piece of his identity, and you can see the evidence of it. He is changed from the inside out. So now we have that understanding. We've got the two versions of identity. We've seen the conversion in Paul. We can get a little bit more practical here this morning and talk about our own identity, and maybe the places where we falsely placed it. Maybe right here today, you're going, yeah, yeah that, that's kind of me still today, even though I am a Christian. I want to show you something. I had had this sermon planned out, and I thought it was really good, and then God said, nope, it's not. Change the whole thing. Because of this one commercial that I saw on Friday night, Amanda and I are watching Hulu. Pop-up ad comes up, and it's a commercial for a perfume company, uh, or uh, by a designer by the name of Mark Jacobs called Perfect. And the opening scene, if you haven't seen it, is a, a woman who is beautiful by our cultural standards. You know, perfect skin, perfect face, everything is in place, just beautiful. But her face is covered by the perfume. So you can't really see it. You can just get a glimpse of her. And she says, my name is Ella, and I am perfect. And then there's about 20, 25 other women that are shown throughout the commercial, some of which, by today's cultural standards, would not be considered beautiful. Women who are overweight, women who don't have perfect teeth, women who don't fit the profile that many people believe beauty should fit for a woman in today's standards. And each woman, as they came up, said, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. I am perfect. I am perfect. Now that commercial really upset me. It made me sad. Because I think at the heart of it, what this designer is trying to do is point out that in this world, we do have unfair beauty standards. 
And we've got young women and older women who are going around and comparing themselves to other people and don't like the way they look because they see somebody else who seems to be prettier in the world's eyes and has it all together. And that's, that's okay. That's a good message that we can talk about. But the messaging is here, I am perfect. And you know that's not true because if you have to look in a mirror and tell yourself you're perfect, if you have to go on TV and tell other people that you're perfect, it actually means that deep down inside, you don't feel perfect. It points out a flaw in your thinking that you're actually comparing yourself, even though you're trying not to, you're comparing yourself to the eyes of beauty of another person. And second of all, it's false advertising. Because we will never in this world reach perfection. You can try as hard as you want to be the best mom, the best dad, the best student, the best athlete, the prettiest person in your class, the prettiest person in the world. You will never reach perfection. And look, I have no problem with positive self-talk. I think that's important for us. You know, you can look in the mirror and you can be like, ah, I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty good. But you can't say you're perfect. And then thirdly, and really at the heart of the issue when it comes to identity, what bothered me the most about this commercial is that these poor women are missing out on the thing that actually makes them beautiful, that actually forms an identity in them. The psalmist says it best when he writes, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And then look at this identity marker. My soul knows it very well. A person who is secure in their identity in Jesus Christ is at peace and has an outer love that shines through them and can rest on the objective truth of God's word that says you're beautiful not because of what other people tell you. You're beautiful because I made you with my bare hands, God says. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. That's what gives you your beauty. So what are we to do living in this world in which we live? Well, the Apostle Paul concludes this chapter in Philippians 3 with just incredible advice through the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. If you jump with me to verse 12. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. What's he talking about? He's like, look, I don't even think about, I don't even stress about, worry about the things that I did and the way in which I used to build my identity and you go, well, how do you do that, Paul? Because I've tried my entire life and I can't just forget. Well, he can do it because he looks back to the cross. Remember, he was crucified to the cross. He was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He's now a new creation. And when he looks at the cross of Christ and by the very nature of forgiveness, forgiveness with Jesus means forgetting. Scripture says he keeps no record of wrongs. That means that he has forgotten the second that you've confessed your sin, the second that you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm putting my identity in the wrong place. He forgives you, and then he forgets it. And if Jesus Christ has forgotten the things that we've screwed up, then so can we. The one who keeps no records of wrong. He forgets what lies behind, and then he strains forward to what lies ahead. So now he's got a greater purpose. 
He's got a greater vision for what his life could look like because he's forgotten all the junk of his past. And this can be a daily thing. I mean, we'll close with this. Uh, Martin Luther has some great advice for us, something that he used to do. He'd wake up in the morning, he'd fill a water basin with water, he'd put water on his face, and he would remind himself of his baptism. And he would say a prayer. He'd say something like, God, forgive my sin, my shame. Would you remind me that I'm a baptized child of God? And then he would look forward to the day. And then, you know what? He wasn't a perfect person. I hope you guys know this. Martin Luther wasn't perfect. Your pastors aren't perfect people. We, we got a lot of flaws. We're going to disappoint you at some point in your life. I promise. Just get ready for the day. Just write it on your calendar. Oh, here it is. The pastor's disappointed us. But every day, you can get in the shower, you can clean off the filth of your body, and you can remind yourself that you're a baptized child of God, and that is your identity. That's what gives you, that's what makes you you. The one who gave up his perfection to love us in our imperfection. Let us look to Jesus and his great love as we walk out this door, we go into the world, we face all the things that we have to face. Let's look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.